Welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Good morning. My name is Kathy Solomon. I'm the Director of Community Life. And we're so glad that you've made it to share this time um, of our gathering of worship together. And as we begin our gatherings, we like to start with a call to worship, really setting our intention, um, transitioning into this time. So receive this reading with me. God of mercy and abundant love, we gather here today to worship you, to experience beauty, to hear words of invitation, to see the example of a life well lived in Jesus the Christ, to be transformed by your love, to belong in community. Help us, guide us, draw us to be faithful followers in our thoughts, words, and deeds. In the name of Jesus the Christ, we pray. Amen. Alrighty, alrighty, alrighty. Friends, if you want to find your seats, that'd be awesome. Welcome to all of you who have remote starters on your car or park indoors. Man, it's cold out there, yeah? Whew! You're brave. I have to be here, but you all, you choose. That's, that's great. It's good stuff. Um, my name is Mike. If we have not met, uh, one of the pastors here at Awaken. Really glad that you're with us this morning. Um, we are in week, I don't know, I think it's four of a series called The Transformation of Jesus. So this is Epiphany, the season of the church where we celebrate the coming of God into the world at Christmas, the light of God, Epiphany. Um, and we've been looking specifically at the human nature of Jesus and what kind of person, what kind of interactions, what kind of um, learnings and becoming uh, transformation Jesus is in the midst of as he becomes the kind of person who walks to Calvary and ultimately chooses love on the cross. So uh, we're in Mark's Gospel. Joy, I'll ask you to come and read. If you're able, uh, please stand for the reading of the word. We're in Mark chapter 2 and chapter 3 this morning. So... Here we go. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. 
Jesus heals a guy, and the, the religious leader's response is they're going to kill him. Do you get that? Like, what is, what is this? Uh, imagine, if you will, that... Um, you imagine a, a father, a dad, maybe 40 or so years ago in like a rural town, you know, the kind of sleepy town that on Sunday mornings, like everything closes, you know, which kind of town I'm talking about, like the, the, the diner's not open, everything's closed because it's Sunday, it's the day of the Lord, it's time to go to church. And uh, this, this dad has a, a child who's outside, it's summer, it's beautiful, and they found their hula hoop and they're outside in the front yard and they're playing with their hula hoop. Dad is a little nervous about what the neighbors might think, you know, having too much fun on the Sabbath, the day of the Lord, and says to the little girl, like, honey, why don't you go ahead and go in the backyard so that no one sees you? It's Sunday. And the child looks a little confused and says something to the effect of, well, Dad, isn't it Sunday in the backyard too? Uh, How many of you grew up in a family or with grandparents where, like, Sabbath, there was a rigidity around Sunday morning where it was like, this is what we do, we go to church, not too much fun, town closes down. Yeah, a few few in the room. Um, Sunday and Sabbath is an interesting idea. Uh, And actually, I'd love to hear what you think when I say the word Sabbath. Um, So what feelings or thoughts come to mind when you hear the word Sabbath? Go ahead and, this is an all play, so shout them out. What do you think or feel? Family day. What else? Rest. Rest. Piety. Piety. Good word. No swimming. swimming. (laughs) Say it again. Crockpots. Yes. (laughs) Tater tot hot dish. Anybody else? Sabbath. Sunday. Crabby mornings. Yep. I can remember a few of those. I remember one in particular, we, my, my dad, we went to a church that uh, was pretty, you know, you dressed, you dressed nicely on Sunday mornings, kind of like Awaken. <laughs> uh, and he had a suit on, you know, like a coat, a coat and a tie, pressed shirt and the whole thing. Crabby Sunday morning at the SA on the corner of Lexington and Energy Park, stops to get gas and gets gasoline all over his shoes or pants, you know. And it was just like, so back back to home we went. Sunday, Sabbath, Sunday mornings, it's beautiful. It's great. Uh, Remember uh, that Jesus is a human being and that he, yes, is God, yes, incarnate, but also is the incarnate divine being made known to us in a human body. And so he's learning and growing and becoming the kind of person that walks to Calvary and ultimately chooses love over hate, chooses to sacrifice his own life on behalf of even his enemies. And so today, I want to look at this passage that we read where Jesus has two interactions in Mark's gospel with the the Pharisees and the religious leaders in a row, and they both have to do with Sabbath. Um, And I I want to look at three things. I think there's something important theologically that's happening, so we'll start kind of big picture Theologically, there's something Jesus is saying. He mentions two different Old Testament passages, and that has, I think, something to do with the fact that he's coming to understand his role in all of this. Uh, and then we'll go a click deeper or a, a click below that uh, and, and look at like rules and laws and holiness around Sabbath and Sunday and adhering to those things. And then something that Jesus comes to know and is coming to know about what it means to be free, what it means to be truly human. So that's where we're headed this morning. Um, Number one, Jesus is coming to understand something about himself and his part in the theological and uh, divine realities being played out. Notice the two passages that he he mentions. He talks about David, uh, who's an Old Testament king, and then he talks about 
the Son of Man, which is from Daniel chapter 7. So King David first. This is a story about King David in 1 Samuel chapter 21. If you remember this, David is with his, uh, his, his merry men, and they go into the temple, and um, there are five sacred loaves that David finds in the temple, and he shares those loaves with his men. Now, according to the law, you can't do that. You have to be ceremonially clean and cleansed in order to go into the temple and to eat from the table of the Lord. David's response in uh, what's called the Septuagint, which is the Greek Old Testament, sounds almost exactly like what Mark says about Jesus in his response in Mark chapter 2. He says, These men have been with me on the way and uh, for three days and are made pure because I, because they're with me, right? They're, they're not made pure because they've been ceremonially cleansed, but they're with me and so they're good to go. They can eat from this table. Uh, they're made pure because of who David is, not the ceremonial law. And he's the king, and the king invites whoever the king wants to eat at the king's table, is essentially what David is saying. Now, remember who Jesus is with in the story we've read. He's just come out of the desert, and he's called his disciples, to the people that follow him. These are, um, they're, they're Gentiles, they're sinners, they're tax collectors. They're people who would have been kind of outside of in. They wouldn't have been invited to the table, so to speak. And one of the threads Mark is using to sort of tell the story of Jesus that he's weaving together is a question about who belongs at the table. Who gets the invitation of the divine? And so in this story, in chapter 2, he's using language that sounds exactly like what David has said in 1 Samuel chapter 21. And if you fast forward into Mark 8, you remember when Jesus feeds the multitudes, right? They gather, people are gathering, and Jesus feeds them. And who are the people who gathers there? They're Gentiles, they're sinners, they're sort of outsiders, and Jesus essentially says, these people are hungry, we don't want to send them away, uh, they'll be faint if they do, if they, if they go on the way, these are all words Mark's using in, in 2 and 8, they're Gentiles, they're sinners, and Jesus is coming to understand something about himself, that the table of God and who's invited is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Not because of your tribe or your connection to Israel, but because you're identifying with him. right? Just like what David says. He says, these people, these men of mine, they can eat at the table of the Lord. Not because they've been cleansed, but because they're with me. And I'm the anointed king. And the king invites whoever the king wants to eat at the king's table. So you see these connections. And this is what Jesus is coming to understand. The table is getting larger and larger. The invitation is going out further and further and further. Not because you're connected to Israel. Not because you've, uh, ad, you've done all the right things. You're, you're ceremonially clean. You're, no, because you're identifying with him. And if you're with him, you're with the king. He also mentions, which leads to his, his mention of Daniel chapter 7. This is sort of a random, uh, obscure prophet passage in Daniel 7. But if you're a good Jew of the day, you would know this passage. Because it speaks of... A person, a figure who will come, the Son of Man, who will be given authority and the ability to establish a kingdom with authority that will reign forever and ever and ever. And Jesus has used this Son of Man language twice now. He's already used it in, in Mark 1, and he uses it again in Mark chapter 2. What's he saying? He knows, he knows who he is, and his role in this divine sort of play that's being uh, lived out in their midst that as the king comes, the anointed one, the Messiah, the son of man, uh, the invitation goes out further and further and further beyond Israel, which is what it was always meant to be. 
and you, you, you participate in it not because you do the, all the right things or you're ceremonially clean or you, go, you observe Sabbath, but rather because you're with the king, because you're with him. It's becoming clear that this is the role he's playing. He's claiming in his presence an invitation, uh, like healing and, and division will cease. A way back to where we've come from is made known in Jesus. So, I guess the question remains for us, a question that folks like me often ask is, like, who do you think Jesus is? Which I think is a really important question to consider. Who was this guy, and what did he teach, and what was he up to? He's making claims that he's connected to the divine made known to us in human form. That's who he is. Do you believe that's true? Secondly, Jesus is offering uh, an understanding and a reminder to us that Adherence to the law does not equal holiness or abundant life. Right? You remember what Jesus says in John 10. I've come to bring life, life to the full. I think Jesus is getting that adherence to the law doesn't get you there. It doesn't make you holy. It doesn't create this sort of bond between you and God. The Pharisees, on the other hand, they get hung up on the legality of Sabbath. You can't hula hoop in the front yard. you got to go do it in the backyard. Right? And in particular... Uh, the, the adherence to these rules and laws related to Sabbath. If you remember in the Old Testament, 613 laws called Torah that you had to listen to and adhere to and, and obey, many of which were about Sabbath, what you could or couldn't do. Now, the Pharisees as a group of people, uh, they get a bad rap, and um, there may have been some with bad motives, but there may have been some with really good motives. They're not a homogenous unit. And at this point... Um, N.T. Wright has this great line about, like, who were the Pharisees in Jesus' day? He says, they had become like nosy journalists of the modern world, setting themselves up as self-appointed guardians of public morality and spying on people in the public eye. The Pharisees have taken on this role where they've sort of self-appointed adjudicators of, like, morality and what you should or shouldn't do. They had become this because they were trying to answer a question, like, where is God? Why hasn't God returned to Israel, set up his temple on Mount Zion, right? The Jews were waiting for that. So they're answering a question worth asking, but their version of, like, why was strict adherence to holiness codes and, more, and, and the religious teachings. That's why God hadn't returned. Their zeal was motivated by a valid question, but they had fallen prey to a common folly of human behavior. And that is, holiness... And your acceptance by God is directly connected to your adherence to the law, to the the degree to which you adhere to the law. Said differently, your pathway or your relationship with God is to follow the rules fastidiously, not missing any of them, completely without any question. And I want to just say out loud this morning, adherence to religious rules does not equal holiness. Said differently, legalism never produces life. It might point you in the right direction. It might get you started. But legalism, strict adherence to the law, does not equal a vibrant spiritual life. Those two things are not directly connected to each other. If this, then that. Jesus is coming to know that. He's coming to understand that. And he's offering a different way forward. A pathway that's about mercy and compassion and following the Spirit. I say this all the time around Awaken in terms of our leadership and our staff. I don't know how much I've said it on Sunday morning, 
but spirit trumps structure. There are rules and there are systems and there are structures and they're fine, they're good, they're not inherently bad. But when the spirit of something like leads you out beyond the structure or the rule, follow the spirit. This is what we see in the book of Acts. I mean, even as I say that, I'm a little nervous right now, right? Like, you can't say that on television. You can't do, like, you're a pastor. When the Spirit leads out beyond the structure, follow the Spirit. Right? Think about the book of Acts. Over and over and over again, what do we see the apostles wrestling with? The structure, the system, the law, Torah, says don't eat meat sacrificed to idols. But the Spirit is leading Peter out beyond the system and the structure and says, Peter, don't call unclean what I'm calling clean. Kill and eat. He's a good Jewish Torah-observing boy. You would never do that. In fact, you could get in big trouble for doing that. The Spirit continuously leads out beyond the structure and the systems and the law. And I would argue, follow the Spirit. It's nerve-wracking to do that. It's a little, uh, it's harder to do because it takes discernment. It takes uh, a spiritual vibrancy and a connection with the divine. You don't just follow the two-dimensional rules. You got to like actually think about it, but this is the invitation. When we equate the vitality of our spiritual lives with our adherence to rules and law, that is a dead end. It always is. Jesus And notice Jesus says, I've come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Jesus sees the systems and the structures for what they were, what they were intended. And the spirit around them, like a well, not a fence. Gather around this because there's wisdom here, but follow the spirit. Follow me. The easier thing for Jesus to do would have been, like, maintain the status quo. Adhere to the law. But here's a man with a withered hand who needs healing, who needs help, who needs wholeness. And Jesus says, oh, that's easy. We heal. We do good on the Sabbath. That's the intent. That's the whole purpose of it. And when we can't do that because of the rules, then we got to get rid of the rules. Jesus is seeing his part in this. The theological and spiritual implications being played out. He's also inviting them to, to, to see that adherence to the law does not equal a vibrant spiritual life or holiness. Which leads to, to this last point, which I want to Now that I've said that the system and the structures and the rules and adherence to them does not equal holiness, I will then also say freedom lives in the space between. Cue Dave Matthews, right? Anybody remember that album? That came out in college. I remember like vividly the soundtrack of that summer was that that, that album. It was a real uh, love it or hate it one for Dave, but I liked it. You know, I liked it. It It's New Direction. Freedom lives in the space between. What do I mean by that? One of the temptations when we hear someone say things like legalism doesn't produce life or adherence to the law does not equal holiness is to, like, to think things like, well, rules don't matter then. Uh, rules are meant to be broken even or do whatever you want, something to the equivalent, right? And that's a sort of classic pendulum swing. And I want to say that like, nothing's further from the truth than that. What we see Jesus engaging with the Pharisees is a classic form of legalism. Legalism, by definition, is like 
excessive adherence to the law or, or formulaic adherence to a law. You just, you just read it and apply it. It's the tendency to place our faith and trust in the rules or our, our assurances in the law and the rules that we get from it. We know where we stand because of or based on the rules and our adherence to them. Excessive adherence to the law or religious rules, we see Jesus challenging that notion in this passage. If legalism is about adherence to the law, and it represents this pendulum swing from this to the far to one side, the opposite of that you could call a word called antinomianism. Big, you know, theological word for like against the law. Just liberty, freedom, do whatever you want. So you have two opposites here, opposite ends of the spectrum. And Jesus seems to challenge these ideas. We see Paul pick up this, this idea in Galatians. To, the whole letter to the church in Galatians is about this tension that, between legalism and liberty, lawlessness. See, the Galatians, they were Gentiles. They were living in liberty. They were kind of doing whatever they want. And they've come to know this Jesus, and they've sort of wandered into this almost Jewish you know, uh, revival movement, which was really big in adherence to the law. And they've swung all the way over to the other side. They lived over here in liberty and lawlessness. They found Jesus and they've swung all the way over here. And they're, they're, they're tempted to sort of adhere to the law, the rigid rules. And, and Paul is saying, no, no, listen. In chapter 5, verse 1, he says, For freedom Christ has set you free. Stand firm. Don't submit to the yoke of slavery. And if you followed Galatians 1 through 4, the yoke of slavery is the law. He's like, That's, it, it's slavery. Don't fall prey to that temptation. Don't swing all the way over there. And then he says in verse 13, For you are called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Don't use your freedom as like an opportunity for lawlessness. Right? He's got the two poles set up here. And then he says, here's the middle ground. Here's the higher ground. Here's the path I want to invite you to. But through your love, become slaves to one another. Become bondservants to one another. And here's where we come back to Jesus and his understanding. What it means to be human. What it means to be free. Freedom does not come from excessive adherence to the law. It doesn't equal holiness. It doesn't equal happiness. It doesn't equal life. Vibrant spiritual life. Nor does freedom mean like I'm bound to no one and I get to determine by myself what's good and right and true. Liberty. Rather, according to Jesus, according to Paul... Freedom and life as a human, what it means to be human, comes when we understand that the true human self is only discovered in the space between legalism and lawlessness. When we're giving ourselves to service rather than seeking security for ourselves, when we're participating in self-giving rather than self-determination. If you've been, uh, we have this learning lab happening on Sunday nights, Sabbath politics, some of you have come to this, like the whole system of American Western liberalism, like the air that we breathe actually is antithetical to the gospel that Jesus is preaching. Because like modern American Western liberalism says, like I am my own person, I get to determine my, my pursuit of happiness, as long as it doesn't infringe on your pursuit of happiness, we're good to go, right? Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, this is like the whole thing. What Jesus is saying, what Paul is saying is actually, no, Freedom is not that. It's not strict adherence to the law and rules, it's, but it's not that either. It's actually when I learn that I'm, I'm bound to you as a human. 
We're human and free because and when we are in sacrificial relationships of love and under the authority and vision of the divine creator. So, this is the tension we see Jesus in the midst of here with the religious leaders in Sabbath. Legalism on the one hand and law or, or freedom and no laws and liberty on the other. Jesus threads the needle to this higher plane and he invites us to this third way, right? It's not binary, it's not dualistic, it's not either this or that, but rather... Freedom is when I'm bound to you in relationship and I'm in sacrificial love, motivating. That's free. That's what it means to be human. So, like many Sundays, if you've ever been to church, I'll close with this question. Which road will you take? Which path will you choose to walk? Jesus, in his confrontation with the Pharisees, he's coming to understand his role in all of this, that he's the divine character or the divine representative being played out in the human drama right here. He says, follow me, identify with me this way of life, and I will lead you home. I will lead you to life. I will lead you to abundant life. And don't get caught up. Don't fall prey to this, this either-or binary where it's like, well, you got to be Sabbath Sunday rules and rigid, and you can't hula hoop in the front yard. But also... It's not just liberty and lawlessness and do whatever you want. No, we're made for something, and that something is under the authority of the divine, under the, the, and when I say authority, think like the hopes and dreams, the vision God, the divine creator has for us is to be under this umbrella of, of his creative word in relationship with one another. This is what we're made for. So follow that path. Choose that road. The higher plane Jesus offers. So I'm going to offer a, a word of prayer here in just a moment. Uh, and I, I want to invite you in this series, we've been taking a little bit more time than we normally would during silence. Uh, and that's because we believe that, well, I don't, have, I don't have the corner market on truth. And I'm not the only one who wants to say something this morning. So we'll give you just a few moments in stillness and in quiet. Uh, and I want you to consider, to think about, what, what, may, what might the Spirit of God be inviting me to this morning? So, let me offer a word of prayer, and then we'll move to that. God, this morning, as we take a few moments in quiet and stillness, where we slow down our hearts and our minds and our bodies, I pray that you would do the work that you, I think, long to do, which is to find us, to be near us, to offer yourself to us and invite us to a path of life, uh, a path that leads to goodness and hope and transformation and healing in our lives and in our world. So in the next few moments, God, would you do that work in us and for us, I pray. In just a moment, I'm going to invite you to respond continue to respond um, Mel's going to lead us in song and um, there's also a prayer space that's always available if you are not aware over here on my right your left, you can write on the walls in there if you want uh, there is Eucharist available this morning the table of the Lord so on my right and left there's red wine and there's white grape juice, I invite you to make your way up to, um, to one of the stations and grab a piece of the bread dip it in the cup and as you do, know that the body of Christ has been broken for you and the blood of Christ has been shed for you. Um, so let's respond, uh, let's sing, let's come to the table together.
For the church gathered in St. Paul, go with this blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the church said together, amen. Grace and peace, friends. <clears throat>